0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 269, and we are recording on February 16th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. I have power, which is great.
1: Yeah, same.
0: (laughs) I think we are maybe like the only part of the country that does this coast, this side over here
1: is like the only country with power right
0: now. I'm sorry for all of you out there who are cold and dealing with that winter
1: garbage. it's, It's no bueno. Ready for it to be over. Yeah, same. Springtime, bada bada bing time. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's not how that goes.
1: <laughs> Why don't we always end up singing on this show? <laughs> it's, it's our idiom, man. It is. It's not good for anyone, I'm sure.
0: Okay, so how the show works. As I said, this is a uh, podcast for personalized reading recommendations. So you send those to us and we give you an answer. This can be a reading recommendation request for yourself. You know, you read X book and want something to fill the void or whatever. Um, or it can be a gift or something for your book club or whatever you want or need. You can send those to us at at getbookedatbookride.com or drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please put that in all caps. If you use the form, put it in all caps in like the first line so that we see it. If you're sending us an email, just put it in the subject line and we will see that. We ask for your email address no matter which way you submit your questions, in case we have to email you your response. Like if it's something we've already answered on the show, uh, or if we're not going to get to it in time. So that's why we ask for your email address. Okay, we have, um, let's see, two pieces of feedback here. The first one is from Megan, who says, I think May would really enjoy The Sweeney Sisters by Leanne Dolan. Three sisters discover another sister upon the death of their father, and then you learn how this changes their family dynamic. And then Wendy has feedback for Catherine from episode 267, who was looking for heroic novels. Alistair McLean wrote some fantastic World War II tales, which have been made into movies. The Navarone series is fantastic, as is Where Eagles Dare. Okay, thank you so much for that feedback. Jen's going to read our first question. We will hear from our first sponsor, and away we will go.
1: All right, our first question is from Emily, who says, Something that I've been very interested in reading about is the strong bond between people forged by unique experiences. Some examples of this in literature that I've enjoyed are the characters in Never Let Me Go, who are bonded by their childhoods and their shared horrific destiny, or Ask Again Yes, who are bonded by being childhood neighbors as well as a shared tragedy. I even enjoyed this about The Hunger Games and the way the shared trauma of the games forged a tight bond between the tributes. And looking for other novels that have these very intimate bonds between characters brought about by certain circumstances. Other books I've enjoyed that also have examples of these sorts of bonds, The Mothers by Britt Bennett, Commonwealth by Ann Patchett, and A Children's Bible by Lydia Millett. All right, before we get into trauma bonding, let (laughs) us talk about our first sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, Don't let the white man take the house, end quote. today's episode is brought to you by disney books do y'all like caribbean mythology what's more a thriller inspired by caribbean mythology if you do i got something for you a must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology, but then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selina has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. And to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Trauma bonds.
1: Amanda, what do you got? <laughs> Yes. Trauma bonding. Um, I
0: picked Five Little Indians by Michelle Good, which
1: has trigger warnings for trauma. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> trauma
0: right. bonding. Uh, racism and child abuse. So this is very much a book about the strong bond between people who forged in unique and awful experiences. Um, It's about five uh, characters who grew up in Canada in a residential school in the 60s. And then you follow them uh, in uh, Vancouver as they age out or run away. So some of them are, like, they're all kind of older teens, and then you're with them as they, like, move into, you know, farther into their adulthood. Um, And there's also some flashbacks into how they came to that residential school, um, some of their attempts to run away, how they find each other over time or don't. And then you're just, like, with each of these characters as they struggle. Because the the residential schools, you know, their whole purpose was to take children from their families and erase their culture and language and raise them to be... Good white people who weren't white, basically. And it was a horrible failure and a system fraught with abuse, of course. (laughs) And like their families were never allowed to come visit. They were never allowed to go visit their families. Everything about their identity was basically stripped from them. And then when they left the school, which usually like when they graduated, they were sent out into the world with like a bus ticket. And that was it. They had no financial literacy, no job skills, no support, nothing. And oftentimes their families were gone by the time they returned back to their hometown. So they had no one and nothing and like nowhere to go. So they banded together, of course. And a lot of kids ended up in like lives of crime, ended up in human being trafficked, being addicted to various substances. It's just the whole system is just a giant horrifying shame upon Canadian history. And not to like throw shade. Obviously, the U.S. has its own version of that. And so you really get to know each of these characters and see inside, like, see their, their resilience, how they lean on each other. Some of them are way are more resilient than others for understandable reasons. And, like, I don't want to – you can hear me being cagey because I don't want to spoil what happens to each character. Um, but it is very much trauma bonding. Um, and then sometimes when they go out into society – a few of them end up on their own. It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of trauma bonding. <laughs> it's a lot of trauma bonding. Um, and it's it's a really heartbreaking and uh, not shame. Not, it's not shaming. I, uh, eye-opening, maybe? Although it's not a secret what this portion of Canadian history was like. So maybe it's not that eye-opening. Anyway, so that's Five Little Indians by Michelle Good.
1: Yeah, that one's been on my TBR for a while. It's rough. Gotta get to it. Uh, I got stuck on this Hunger Games mention... And so the book I am recommending to you is The Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth, which is not YA, side note, not YA, definitely not, adult. And this one comes with trigger warnings for self-harm, fatal overdose, torture, and gore. This is a book about what happens to like the teenagers who end up being, you know, the ones to bring down the big bad, whatever, like 10 years later. So the survivors of the version in this book, which was there was this otherworldly enemy known as the Dark One. There's magic. But it's like our world, like they're in Chicago, but alternate Chicago. These, you know, five people who were teenagers when they defeated the Dark One. Now, 10 years later, they're like celebrities. And one of them is like. An influencer on social media, and one of them is, you know, like, trying to just live a quiet life, and one of them, like, doesn't know what the heck she wants to do. Like, what do, you, what do you do? And they all, of course, have PTSD, and they all are deeply scarred and, like, really only can rely on each other. And then on the anniversary of this, like, you know, 10-year celebration of peace... One of them dies and then they all get sucked into yet another alternate place where the Dark One was not vanquished and they have to like do this all over again. So it's extremely, it's like, it is very fantasy, but what the heart of this book is, yeah, like how messed up you are by these experiences that you have lived through in like and like what happens after like what happens after and it's pretty clear I think in this book that like even if there hadn't been like oh look 10 years later there's another enemy to face like really they're doing they're struggling enough without that like because yeah these experiences are deeply traumatizing and it was really interesting it's really interesting because you know especially in like those kind of YA books, you don't really get the aftermath. And like, often you get like, and then they were all fine forever. And you're like, "Eh, is that likely? Mm. (laughs) And Veronica Roth is like, no, and let me write a whole book about it. Uh, So I guess it's going to be a series. But I have just read this one. And I think it I think it fits the bill. So again, that's Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth.
0: All right. Our next question is from Carol, who says, I'm looking for a wreck for a friend's birthday. She just finished The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix and has been raving about the housewife superpower angle it takes. I'd love to get another book for her in a similar strain. She also likes the Amy Dunn of Gone Girl type of genius, borderline, crazy female characters in any book, TV show, or movie, so it can also lean in that direction. Okay. I also love this. What do we call Is this a trope? Or like a... Is it a trope now? I think it's a trope. I felt like... Okay, Amy Dunn felt so revolutionary that I don't I I don't know how long a thing has to be happening before it's a trope. But anyway, I love this trope. This this like a very nice girl on the outside actually will cut you (laughs) also on the outside (laughs) kind of a thing. It's great. So I picked Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, which is gone girl, but like in a music opera world and quite a bit less violent. I mean, thankfully, right? So Fates and Furies is about a, a marriage between Lotto and Matilda. And they are—they meet when they're 20, in their early 20s at college. Lotto is this, like, golden boy, son-child god of, from Florida, um, whose family has a lot of money, and he's just kind of loved by everyone, very charming, wants to be a playwright. And Matilda is his wife. She's, like, tall and artistic and very glamorous and beautiful and quiet, which is very important to him. And she supports him in his pursuit of artistic genius and greatness so the first half of the book very much that gone girl set up where the first half of the book is from lotto's perspective um of his like torture genius and the ways in which he is not understood by the world appropriately enough until except for like how they give him money and power but that's not enough like he wants to be recognized <laughs> as the genius of his time Blah 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 obnoxious man and then the second half of the book is from matilda's perspective Um, This is, it is so great. I mean, it's just, you can feel in the first half that Lotto is a just goober. Like, he is entitled, um, no one has ever told him no, and Matilda seems to be propping him up through this whole, through the whole, his whole uh, POV section, like- she's there for him. She encourages him. She helps him. Uh, You know what? She like runs the home front so he can go have a career, all of this. And then when you get to Matilda's point of view, you realize that things are very, very different. Like Lotto's perception of his abilities and what his life is, is completely false. And she has built it that way on purpose so that she can have the life that she wants. It's fascinating. And again, it's very like, there's that part in Gone Girl, the movie, I don't think it's in the book, where Ben Affleck's character calls her the C-word, and she says, I'm the C-word you married. And I think about that all the time when I think about Fates and Furies, because, like, Lotto does not know this woman at all, but she knows him so well, which is a very Amy Dunn, like, flex. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's great. So that's Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff.
1: So I picked a graphic novel. It is called Lady Killer you might guess what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, They pitched it as Betty Draper meets Hannibal, which cracks me up every time I read it. Uh, (laughs) It is about a housewife, picture perfect, you know, like 50s style housewife. But she's also a secret assassin. Ta-da! <laughs> and the whole thing, what I love about this concept, too, is it takes place in the 60s. So, like, we're just coming out of the 50s, right, in that, like, leave it to Beaver kind of era. But, like, we're slowly getting more towards, you know, what will become the Summer of Love and all that stuff. But we're not there yet. And I just love that sort of, like, historical tension. I like to think about that. And then, of course, I mean, it's it's just fun. Like, it's a dark comedy about a housewife who also kills people. Like ta-da! It's it's what you want. So again, that's Lady Killer Volume 1. It's by Joelle Jones, Jamie S. Rich, and Chelsea Kane. Super, super fun. So great. Bunch <laughs> of volumes too. So you know, there's more. Okay, so our next question is from Jordan who says, I just got a new job that is for a company based in Belgium. Eventually, after COVID, I will get a chance to go out and visit the main office. Can you suggest some books based in Belgium or with a general Belgium feel? This is called Belgitude. Side note, love I love that, that there's a <laughs> word for that. That's awesome. Um, Amanda, what do you got?
0: Um, I picked a unknown classic or a lesser known classic that came out of Melville's Sink series. It's called La Femme de Giles. It's by Madeleine Bordeaux. This comes with a trigger warning for suicide. And it was first written in 1937, or first published in 1937, and then the author kind of faded into obscurity as World War II started, you know, happening, and then it happened, <laughs> and was kind of recently rediscovered uh, in the 90s and 2000s, and is having, you know, kind of a moment right now. So, La Femme de Giles is a very small, almost maybe maybe a novella. It's like 150 pages that takes place in the Belgian countryside right before World War II is broken out, so in between the two world wars, um, and it is about a woman named Alyssa who is married to a man named Giles and they just like live in the countryside and do the thing like they're very happy she is very in love with him they go see movies they you know work their jobs everything is very normal and she is looking forward to a life of doing this every day of just like waking up beside this man that she loves going to bed beside this man that she loves everything else is sort of whatever but then she finds out that he is having an affair with her sister. Yikes. Yeah. And she decides that what she's going to do is win him back. And win him back through, like, being the best and most perfect wife possible, according to 1930s Belgian attitudes. So she does everything. But She cooks for him, cleans for him. Her whole life revolves around what he wants. She even, like, listens to him whine when her sister gets a new boyfriend, like, becomes his confidant in this affair situation. There's a lot of misery, <laughs> obviously, um, kind of in, involved in this situation, and it's been hailed as it's been rediscovered. This little book is a, a very interesting feminist take on on Alyssa's situation because she uses sex a lot as like a weapon to win him back, and so does her sister. And she also uses no, like quote unquote normal, traditional, I guess I should say, domestic stuff as a weapon and like, what else is she supposed to use other than maybe like a literal weapon, which like nobody wants that. So it's a, you know, how else is a woman who doesn't have her own money or career supposed to respond when her lifeline is like, is betraying her? It's just a, it's a fascinating question. I also picked this because the author is amazing. So the book came out in 1937 and then her publisher was taken over by Nazis. So she left, like she left her publishing house And moved to Brussels and became a member of the Belgian resistance to the Nazis. And that's what she did. And then she was friends with like Sartre and all these very like fancy philosophical people in Paris later. But that like underground resistance flex, everybody's flexing here today. I don't know why. (laughs) Makes her, I don't know, that's Belgitude, right? Resisting the Nazis is very much a Belgitude. And I love it. So that's La Femme de Giles by Madeleine Bordeaux.
1: Nice. All right. I picked, this is on spec because I'm still waiting on my library copy, but I picked Brussels Noir, uh, edited by Michelle Dufresne, because I, so I love the noir series, first and foremost, and you didn't give any, like, genre boundaries, so, like, I don't know how you feel about noir. I love it, personally. And this series is always really fun, and I picked this one for you both because... And it it's literally all entirely in Brussels. But it's so interesting when you when I was reading through the reviews on this one, everybody kept talking about how strong a sense you get of this city, which like I think is perfect for sort of your purposes here. And also the stories sound really fascinating. I love that this one. This is interesting. Apparently, Michelle Dufresne is actually more of like a sci-fi person. ...than a mystery person. So these noir stories are noir in that they're, like, you know, got that, like, dark, gritty, like, street lamps and trench coats kind of feel. But some of them also have, you know, surrealist elements, fabulist elements, which is uh, really interesting to me and I thought might be interesting to you. So... You know, historic city, lots of different authors giving lots of different takes on it. Sounds ideal. I'm excited for my library hall to come in. Again, that is Brussels Noir, edited by Michelle Dufresne.
0: All right, our next question is from Andy, who says, I'm writing to ask for three different book recs. We combined one of them, just so you know. First, I'm looking for a book, fiction or nonfiction, or both, about archaeology. It seems such an exciting field. I'm looking for a book that gives those adventurous vibes, but also teaches me something about history. Secondly, a book set in a museum. I'm looking for something exciting that makes me think. And finally, if you can, a nonfiction book about countries that have recovered from a civil war and how they did it. I'd not mentioned before, but I'm originally from Venezuela, and though my country hasn't gone through a civil war in the strict sense, the recovery, if it ever does recover, would probably be something similar. I'd like to read about other history cases so that I maybe could find some answers. Okay, so Jen took the archaeology museum angle, and I took the civil war angle, so Jen, why don't you go first?
1: All right, so I'm picking sort of a classic of the museum genre <laughs> is that a thing we'll decide it's a thing <laughs> it's the flanders panel by arturo perez Riverte it's translated by margaret jewel costa i think uh perez reverte is better known for the is it called the dante club something like that mm-hmm. dumas club but this is a great one and i thought so it's not exactly archaeology it's painting restoration. But I personally feel like they have a lot in common in that like you are painstakingly with like the tiniest of tools and the most careful use of chemicals, like revealing things that have been covered over for, you know, however long centuries, millennia, whatever. And this book is about an art restoration, a young art restoration expert, who is assigned to work on restoring a 15th century painting. And she discovers a hidden inscription in the corner that, like, poses a mystery. So it's like a 500-year-old cold case, basically. Um, set in a museum that goes back into, like, digs into all of the Renaissance stuff. And so it's, like, extremely fun page-turny reading. Like, it's one of those, like, action like, a little bit Da Vinci code. But I think Perez Verde is... I'm going to say it, a better writer. <laughs> mm. um, I said <laughs> don't it, don't at Jeff. me. Uh, don't tell Jeff. <laughs> and, and it's just so steeped in all of those, like, historical, museum-y restoration feels that I feel like, you know, this is the vibe that you're going for. So again, that's The Flanders Panel by Arturo Perez-Riverte, translated by Margaret Jewel Costa.
0: Okay, so for the Civil War... Question. I went to another country that also had a long history of violence that wasn't strictly a civil war and is still kind of dealing with that. And that is Ireland. So I picked Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland by Patrick Radden Keefe. And I picked this because it's a combination of true crime and a history of the troubles in Ireland and Northern Ireland, and also a reflection on what Ireland is and more importantly is not doing to deal with mm. or confront or face that period of their history, which was, you know, like 30 years ago, not that long ago. Um, no, that's not 60 years ago. That's longer. But still, in my, I'm a millennial. So I still think it's the year 20, like, 2002. Forever. <laughs> so in December of 1972, a mother of 10 who lived in Belfast named Jean, she was 38 years old, was taken out of her home by masked intruders. And her family never saw her again. She was in her late 30s. Again, mother of 10, never heard from or seen ever again. Everyone in the neighborhood knew that the IRA had taken her and she herself was very politically, like, sketchy. But nobody would talk about it because, of course, in Northern Ireland during this time period, everyone was closed-lipped. Talking was like a great way to get yourself killed. So no one's ever said anything. And then in 2003 which was five years after the peace accord in Northern Ireland, a set of human remains was found on a beach. Her children identified her um, because of like the dress. She still had a dress and like a, what do you call it? Safety pin attached to it that she used to wear in a very particular way. And so he is looking into her disappearance, her abduction, her murder, uh, and tying it to this guerrilla war, which is what it really was. I mean, you can, I don't know if, if historians are defining the troubles in Ireland as a civil war, I don't think they are, but uh, definitely guerrilla war, I think, would apply. And the consequences of that have not really been reckoned with. Like, the peace accord happened, but I don't know. It's, it feels very American in that way of, like, it's been 200 years and we still haven't really reckoned yeah. with with the end of our civil war. And uh, as you can see by just, like, looking out the window and seeing everything that's going on here now. And I think that's probably the case in a lot of countries where they have these sectarian violence or, you know, intercultural violent clashes and then try to move on. but How? Like, how do you do? I I mean, how? Nobody has an answer. (laughs) And Ireland doesn't have one either. But I think the question here that's useful isn't like, how did this nation recover from this conflict? But how did it fail to do so might be more useful, I think. Uh, Like, how are they not what are they not talking about? What are they avoiding facing? And that those kinds of questions, I think can be just as useful as looking at a use case of a country where it did work out, although I could not name one. Off the top of my head. Um, so that's Say Nothing by Patrick Raddenkeef. And it is time for our next sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my All right. Our next question is from
1: Marissa. This is a long question. I'm going to do some summarizing. Marissa says, I have found historical fiction cozy mysteries to be especially comforting in these wild times. I love to read mysteries that have a strong female main character and are written by women. The only problem is that almost every historical fiction series that I've read has white main characters and are almost all written by white authors. Do you have any recommendations for Own Voices historical cozy mysteries by BIPOC women? And then Marissa gives us a bunch. You have read. <laughs> Mercy, you have read a lot of things. She's read all the things. All the things. All right. So I am just going to keep talking. I'm going to recommend The Lotus Palace by Jeannie Lynn. And I do want to note that like, so some of the books on this list, you know, like uh, the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas, I don't, they're like, to me, they're not 100% cozy. Like they're a little bit, darker than i tend to although i the more cozies read the more i'm like oh these are pretty dark actually (laughs) (laughs) so it's i guess it's on the darker side of cozy is how i want to say it in that it's not like you know there's not a lot of like baking references or whatever it's historical and Jeannie Lin is the author of a bunch of historical romances that I love, and this is her mystery series, which I did not know about until I was re- researching for this question. So thank you very much for putting this on my radar. But they take place in China at, and this is the first book in the series is the Lotus Palace, and it is the home of the most exquisite courtesans in China. But the main character Yue Ying is a maidservant. She is not you know, one of the very fancy ladies. She is very street smart. She's practical. She serves her infamous mistress and is, like, happy to be in the shadows. Um, And then she meets an aristocratic playboy who they, like, are thrown together to solve a deadly mystery and, like, start to question, you know, both of their lives. And so this is, like, a romance and a mystery at the same time, much like some of the other ones that you named. Uh, And so, you know, you can probably guess, like, that romance will be a big part of this. But this is very much about, like, solving the mystery and also, like, what is this woman – what are these women's options – for what her life can look like in China in this historical time period. Like, she she is like, she just could be this guy's concubine. Like, is that enough for her? Is that like, can love conquer the power structures that are in place? Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> uh, and I love Jeannie Lin's books. I'm super excited to dive into this series. So, again, that's The Lotus Palace by Jeannie Lin, which is the first of the Ping Kang Li mysteries.
0: Yeah, I had to go to the contributors for this one because you've read all of the ones that I I like. So our contributor, Nicole Hill, recommended Murder in Old Bombay by Nev March, which is new, came out newish, you know, came out in November of last year. And it takes place in 1892 in Bombay. And our, like, sleuth is Captain Jim Agnohotri, who is the son of a British person, (laughs) British guy, and an Indian mother who was orphaned when he was two years old. And has joined the military and he's involved in a skirmish on the northern frontier of India and is injured uh, quite badly and is in the hospital for months trying to recover. And while he's there, he rereads, reads and rereads uh, Sherlock Holmes mysteries and becomes kind of obsessed with this uh, idea that you could like use your brain to solve crimes who'd have thought and so he does that and then he also reads the newspaper and gets really captivated by this crime of two women falling from a university clock tower in the middle of the day and it's ruled a suicide but the family absolutely denies that that's what could have happened um adi is the widower of one of the victims and his sister is the other and so captain jim decides he's going to help figure out what actually happened to these girls. So he, like, moves into the family's house and becomes, like, an additional son, uh, gets really close with Addy, the widower, gets really close to his other sister, who he thinks is, like, real cute, if you know what I'm saying. Hit, hit, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, and then, like, really bonds with the parents. And, you know, he's an orphan, so that's, like, an emotional hole that he's filling. And then tries to solve this whole mystery about what happened to these two women with- using Sherlock Holmes as a model. And Holmes and Watson are mentioned throughout the book. Um, and it's it's, you know cozy but like jen was saying it's cozy but with all cozy mystery somebody has died right <laughs> or more than one somebody so like it's only you don't like it but it's so cozy but it's not gory or excessively violent in as much as like you know someone has died but you're not gonna have to read about the blood-soaked details so that's murder in old bombay by nev march okay our next question is from maria who says i'm loving dark academia media right now which is an aesthetic that joins dark themes like murder theft and sin with academic settings I read The Secret History by Donna Tartt in February and have not stopped thinking about it since. I've also read The Goldfinch and The Picture of Dorian Gray and love them both. Dead Poets Society and Kill Your Darlings are examples of movies with this setting. Could you help me find other books with a similar style? Okay, Jen. Go, go, go.
1: Dark Academia, man. It's shown up everywhere. It's a thing. We have a bunch of if you put like bookriot.com dark academia into your search engine, you will find even more recommendations. So mm-hmm. have fun. <laughs> I picked for you Bunny by Mona Awad, which does come with a trigger warning for animal cruelty and death. This is like Dark Academia plus satire plus horror. It is the bitingest of writing styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main character, Samantha Mackey. And sort of an outsider at her uh, very fancy MFA program in uh, New England University. And, you know, she's there on scholarship and like she has like, you know, her stories are very dark. And all of the rest of the students in her grad school writing cohort are like these blonde, bubbly, effervescent, rich seeming women. And so she does not fit in. She calls them the bunnies because they call each other bunny all the time as like a pet name. And her take on them is like so brutally, man, it's a lot. It's the style in this whole book. You're just like, ouch. Um, But it's also really funny. (laughs) But it's like, it's a lot. Uh, So I'm just saying. And then one day, like out of nowhere, they invite her to hang out with them. And then things start to get weird. And then they progressively get like even weirder. It is so bonkers, like banana <laughs> pants, the weirdest like you like you thought like the rituals in a secret history were weird, like just you wait. Whoa. So, yeah, it's it takes the dark academia and like dials it up to 11. Uh, so if that's an experience that you want to have, this is the book for you. So that's Bunny by Mona Awad. Yikes. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a lot.
0: <laughs> but her other book. Oh, gosh, what is it?
1: 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl.
0: Yes. Also, very like, wow! You did that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mood. Okay. So my pick for this was Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas, which is also fairly new. This came out in um, spring of last year, and similar to Bunny, it's like Dark Academia, but extremely strange. So the main character is a Ness who is recruited to attend Catherine House, which is a college in Pennsylvania, like deep, deep, deep in the woods of Pennsylvania. It's a very intense liberal arts college that has an experimental curriculum, very selective in who it lets in. And the graduates of this college go on to become some of the world's most famous uh, artists, Supreme Court justices, presidents, members of Congress, powerful CEOs. Like this school churns out the people, you know what I'm saying? And so Aness is like, I don't understand why I've been selected. (laughs) She's like a very mediocre student. She has a really, really troubled you know, home life, and she considers it a way to escape. So she goes to the school. The price is that, not the literal price, because the school is free if you're selected. The price is that the students cannot leave for three years, including in the summers. They can't make any contact with the outside world. They can't even bring in anything from the outside world. They can't bring photos, music, nothing. They're provided clothes. They're provided all their supplies. They have no access to the internet. They are in this house for three years, ostensibly to have this very intense academic experience. But of course, with that kind of setup, you know, it's not just going to be that. So she gets there, um, discovers that the the school is full of weird secrets. There's an entire branch of study that the school um, has that makes no sense, that like crosses science, crosses the lines of science and maybe gets a little bit into the supernatural. Um, her roommate goes missing at one point. And the school itself is very much a character. It's got that haunting of Hill House thing going on where, like, everything is beautiful and ornate, but also 200 years too old and, like, falling apart and crumbly. And everything is a mood and, like, worn leather and elbow patches, but everything is also covered in mold. Like, it's just (laughs) creepy and gross and weird and very dark and academic. (laughs) Um, And Ines is like, gonna try to figure out what's going on here because people are starting to 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 go missing and also she hasn't spoken to anyone who doesn't go to the school in a year and a half and like that's odd why didn't that seem like a red flag at the beginning well that's a great question anyway so that's Catherine house by elizabeth thomas
1: all right our last question is from mo who says i have a seven-year-old And I'm looking for a book to read aloud together as a family. We loved Thomas Taylor's Malamander and the sequel, and we're looking for books like those. Thrilling, sly, dark, funny, suspenseful, middle grade fantasies with lots of friendship and at least one girl main character. We don't like to slog through pointless dialogue and tedious setups. Uh, I'm skipping around a little bit. This is a long question. My kid has enjoyed audiobooks of the Unicorn Rescue Society, Love Sugar Magic, Princess Pulverizer, Alice in Wonderland, Anna Hibiscus, Wollstonecraft Detective Agency, Magic Treehouse, Dory Phantasmagory, Dragons in a Bag, and the Questionnaire Series, <laughs> as well as the first Dark is Rising book. She's heard the audible sample of Akata Witch. And was mesmerized, but I think it's a little too old for her. Some violence is fine, but we'd like to stay away from heavy romance slash crushes slash bullying middle school stuff. And from really dark stuff like genocide, horrible forms of murder, any hint of sexual violence or suicide, etc. POC and queer characters, A+. Y'all have read a lot, Mm -hmm. for the record. That's a delightful list. I'll just keep talking. I'm recommending Bright Storm by Vashti Hardy which is one that I am still, again, I'm waiting on library holds this week. Apparently that was the theme of my week. Mm. But several writers have recommended this book on the site. And it sounds amazing. It is about two siblings whose uh, famous explorer father, they learn that he has died in an attempt to reach South Polaris, which is in their world, the southernmost point of the world. This is like a hot air balloon. This is like steampunk middle grade mystery. That's what this is. So the Geographical Society decides to accuse him of sabotaging the expedition of his competitor, whose name is Eudora Vane. And so like there's this like their father's reputation is in tatters and like he's dead and like, uh, but then there's this clue and like maybe nothing is as it seems. So they join the crew of a skyship that was like a DIY made at home skyship. The captain is named Harriet Culpepper, which is a name that I love. And they have to, like, find out what happened to their father's expedition and if they are, like, you know, worthy explorers. It just sounds delightful, really fun, exactly the kind of thing that you're looking for. So, again, that is Brightstorm by Vashti Hardy.
0: Okay. I picked Furthermore by Tara Mafi, which has big Alice in Wonderland vibes. And you said that your daughter really liked that. So this is about uh, also another girl named Alice, <laughs> which I just realized that's accidental. I'm sorry. Who is, uh, I think, about 12 years old. She lives in this fantasy world called Farenwood with her family. Except, and it's like this very magical, colorful world, except she has no color. Like, she is white, white eyes, white skin, white hair, everyone else around her is very, very colorful, and their magic is based on colors. So she is a bit of an outcast. And what makes her life even more stressful is that her father is missing. He's been missing for three years. He went like off one day with only like a, a ruler and has not been has not been heard from since. And so she undergoes this like, societal trial, almost, that every kid has to go through when they get to a certain age to find out what their magical abilities are going to be and what, like, their place in society is going to be. Hers does not go well. Um, and so instead, the, well, I guess locals like, city council or whatever, um, gives her a job of going to find her dad. And they team her up with a boy named Oliver, who has his own magical powers that are based on lying. So that's, like, a really interesting setup. And so she, and the two of them are, like, not tight when the book starts like he is kind of bossy and he has information about stuff that happened to her dad that he's not disclosing to her and she does not appreciate it and it is not a situation where like a girl and a boy go off into on some adventure and he like is in charge and tells her what to do and she does it she's not having that like this is her father this is her life and she resents oliver's intrusion into it and his attempts to boss her around so she gets like big Alice attitude, and it's so nice to watch. I know you said no bullying, but this is not bull. It's not bullying. He's just like a pushy little boy, and she very much stands up for herself. There's one line where I don't. It's not Oliver. It's like another character scares her on the street. uh Not on. I don't think I don't remember if it was on purpose or not. But like startles her, and she yells at him a little bit. And the book says. Girls don't have to be nice when they're frightened, and I think that's, like, such an important thing Mm. to just, like, state (laughs) in a Mm -hmm. book, especially a book for little girls. Um, So she goes on this magical adventure. It's very Narnia-ish, where she goes off to find her dad and, like, falls into another world, and the rules don't make any sense in this other world, and she has to figure out how the magic functions and also solve the mystery of where her dad went. So it's got a lot of, like, um, oh, what's that? Ah! What is that book called? Crud. This is going to drive me nuts. (laughs) wrinkle in time thank you jesus (laughs) it's got a lot of wrinkle in time energy with this girl this girl off to find her dad and like willing to do pretty much anything to save him so yeah that's furthermore which is the first book in the series by tahara mafi oh thank you for coming with me on that brain fart (laughs) and thank you so much for listening that is our show yay thanks to our audio editor jen Zink. For more recommendations, please check out bookriot.com. You can find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have so many. There's something for everyone. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I will warn you, my dog just turned six months old, so it is only dog content. It has only
1: been dog content for the past four (laughs) months. And we'll continue to only be dog content. Where can they find you, Jen? It's the best dog content. Uh, I (laughs) am also primarily on Instagram these days at I am... Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to y'all next week.